Hello, this is Andrew Gomison, and I want to welcome you all to this edition of the Speaking for Him podcast. You may have noticed that the intro music was a little different today, and that is because today is September 11th of 2020, as I am recording this, and hopefully as you are able to begin listening to it, I'm a little later on the upload uh, than I have been in the past, but that is because of busyness with school and all of that. So I'm just so excited to be with you once again here on the Speaking for Him podcast. And my prayer for you today is that we would not forget um, the lessons of 9-11. Um, there's a lot of uh, victims' families that are still suffering the loss of their loved ones. Um, I particularly think of that plane, I believe it's Flight 93, that went down over the Pennsylvania field um, because it became quite evident um, as the day wore on, especially, uh, that the terrorists were were targeting specific American um, landmarks and buildings of great significance. They ended up hitting... Uh, the Pentagon and the Twin Towers, and rumors are that they were headed for uh, the White House when these brave men and women decided to stand up to the hijackers, and of course they lost their lives going down in a Pennsylvania field, but they were willing to do that to preserve our nation and to give us a future, and I think that is something that is lost in a lot of people today is the fact that they have a future in this great land uh, with uh, because of the sacrifice of these people on 9-11 and many troops that have gone before them. Um, my brothers have gladly served the United States um, for the last several years, we've really become a military family, have representation in the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines, and I couldn't be more uh, proud of them. Um, my one brother, Thaddeus, did tours of duty in Afghanistan and in Iraq for our freedom, and I'm so thankful for that. And it's it's very amazing how quickly we forget things. But uh, even in the Bible, we are reminded how we as humans are forgetful people. That is why God would constantly tell the children of Israel, I am the Lord thy God that led thee out of the land of Egypt. And many Old Testament chapters start that way because he didn't want them to forget. And they would forget many times. In Judges we read, that often they forgot God and what God had done for them. But then later, um, God was able to redeem them when they came back to him. And that was an over and over again cyclical process for the people, specifically in the book of Judges, but even throughout the Old Testament unfolding. So I think it's important for us to look back and to remember things and to have that 
um, benefit of learning and remembering history. You know, people talk about remembering where they were on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941 was a day that will live in infamy. And, and for, um, for my, uh, parents and my grandparents' generation, that is a day that they will, um, uh, well, for my for my grandparents' uh, generation specifically, that is a day that they will remember as a turning point for society for them. And for us, um, it is 9-11. And so it's important for us to look back and to learn from the past. And uh, so as we dig into this podcast and as I continue uh, to speak with you about what is going on, we will speak a little bit more about 9-11 and a few other things. So let's get to that and find out what is going on. All right, so as I mentioned in the intro to this podcast, it is 9-11. It's been 19 years since that fateful day when American soil was traumatized by terrorists. I think until, um, until 9-11 of 2001, we always thought of terrorism as something that happens in other countries. And we always thought of the fact that we would go into other countries and exert strength to show them that we care and to bring them some of the freedom that we have experienced. And that was something that as Americans, we were, um, we took a great, a great blessing and pride in to be able to provide that to other nations. But on nine 11, it came to our shores, much like Pearl Harbor, as I've already described. And so I just want to take uh, a little bit to tell you about where I was on nine 11, 2001 I remember it very vividly. I was sitting um, in this very room where I'm recording right now, and I was doing college courses online. And I remember um, I was uh, working on a particular assignment, and all of a sudden my brother uh, uh, ran downstairs and said, terrorists have just attacked uh, the United States of America, and I was dumbfounded. I think I I had scrolled the news a little bit earlier and heard about the first plane going into the World Trade Center, um, but but they didn't think it was terrorism at that point. I uh, just thought it was some kind of accident. And then when the second plane hit, uh, people knew that something was wrong, and the world was um, inexorably changed. And we spent uh, collectively the next week or two basically glued to our TV sets uh, trying to process normal life while at the same time processing 9-11 and all that it brought to us. And so I just remember a lot of things about that time. I remember America largely being unified, which is something that we desperately need uh, today. And um, I really... You know, I, I saw a meme and it said, I would not wish for another 9-11, uh, but I certainly hope that we could remember um, what 9-12 was like. And that's because um, we were a unified country. We sold out American flags everywhere. 
We lined up to give blood to one another. Uh, people went to Ground Zero to dig people out of the rubble, and they didn't give up on them. Some people were found days afterwards, and they were still alive because people didn't give up on them. Uh, we saw um, law enforcement officials, like police officers and firemen, rush toward the danger so they could get people out of the building and so they could um, preserve the future for so many people. And uh, I saw this picture on Facebook uh, this week about this whole um, division of the New York City Fire Department, this whole ladder company uh, of the New York City Fire Department that went into the World Trade Center and never came out. And so I think it's important for us to reflect on uh, the sacrifices and, and the things that people have done, because I think we often don't realize the sacrifices that have been made so that we can have the freedom that we have in this country. I, I think a lot of people who are now criticizing the history of the country, they only look at one side. You know, every person who has been a part of the history of this country is a flawed individual uh, because there was only one perfect individual, and that was Jesus Christ. And so the only way that uh, we are going to uh, be able to take an effective look at history is if we are able to say, yes, this person had flaws. Yes, I don't agree with the bad things that they did, but they also gave me a, a nation that I can be um, proud of. And I just want to mention this here. Some people who say that America is not that great of a nation, consider this. My friend calls it the gate test. And I'm pretty sure this isn't the original original with him, but he mentioned this to me a few um, uh, months ago now. He said, all you have to do is do the gate test. If a country that was previously closed to people going in and out of it opens their gates, where do the people from that country want to go inevitably? And often it's to the United States. Why? Because we have the promise of prosperity. We largely have the promise of safety and we have a lot to offer as a nation. Doesn't mean we don't have flaws, but it does mean that there's a lot to offer here. And I think we need to have a proper view of history in order to really embrace that. Um, because as we are looking at the flaws, we should also uh, be willing to look at the heroic things that have been done and the progress that has been made on in our country. And as a reminder of that time, shortly after 9-11, I want to play for you now a clip of George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch at the first World Series game after 9-11-2001. So give this a listen, and I'll be back to talk about the main topic of today's podcast. For tonight's ceremonial first pitch, and please welcome the President of the United States. Walked out on the field, and I mean the energy and the crowd and the noise was really really powerful. Into conventions and rallies and speeches, I've never felt anything 
uh, so powerful and the emotion so strong and the collective will of the crowd so evident. Very nice throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff. And there you have it, George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch at the World Series. Um, I believe they were in New York, which made it even more significant because the Yankees were playing. And just the unity that was displayed there and just hearing the crowd um, chanting USA, 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 that just still gives me chills. And I really um, do hope that we in some semblance can get back to that as a country. You know, one of the things I want to mention, and then we'll get into our our main topic of today, is that the biggest problem is not dissension of ideas. Um, because America has always been made up of people that have different ideas. The biggest problem is being willing to allow someone to have a different opinion than um, I just, I just see the biggest problem going on in our country today as a culture is if you have a dissenting opinion uh, from the the left or from the way that the mainstream media thinks you should, then you are evil. Then you are, then you are forecast. Then you want all this evil stuff to happen to America that you don't, and you don't care about others. And I think. That's where we need to get back to is the fact that a difference of opinion does not mean that we don't care for one another. And we also need to make sure that when we're, when we're putting forth our opinions that we do so in a caring manner. So my hope is that this uh, podcast will encourage you um, to go forth and to be God's light to the world and to share the truth, but also to share it in love. All right, well, uh, moving on, I want to share with you our main topic of the day, and that is continuing on in our um, Jesus series. Remember, we're, we're talking about the I Am Statements of Christ, um, and today we're talking about I Am the Door. And for our quote of the day, we are... Um, starting with the theme verse for this section, uh, for this topic, which is, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And that's John ten nine. So we're going to talk about some different aspects about uh, going about doors in the Bible and how we can be directed to um, the right door. And so this the first point is actually just that. Choose the right door. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Again, that's Matthew seven thirteen and 14. So Jesus is basically saying here that there are two gates, essentially two doors um, that are needed uh, or are available in this world. 
one is a wide gate and one is a straight gate. Um, and the straight gate is the one that we see Pilgrim go through in Pilgrim's Progress. And I'm really excited to be bringing that to you guys. But that is the gate that Pilgrim was focused on. And there were there were some distractions along the way. He got off the path, but he trusted God to put him back on the path. It wasn't an easy path. The times when he strayed and tried to go to the easy path, he ended up paying dearly for that. So the reminder here is that the easy path here on earth is not going to lead you to the life that you need later on. So we need to choose the straight gate um, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life and few there be that find it. That's a pretty convicting phrase. Few there be that find it. So the question for you and for me is, are we going to be part of the few? Are we willing to walk the narrow way? Are we willing to go through the straight gate? And that really is the mission of speaking for him, is to encourage you to walk through the straight gate and to do it with all your might. The second thing that I want to talk about is trust God for direction. The Bible says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. What I like about this, and I know I bring this up often on the podcast, but I do so because it's true. What I like about this is the fact that God always speaks in the definitive article. He says, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And then he says, it's for everyone. Everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And I want to encourage you here. Uh, Maybe you're trying to find your way to God. Maybe you've looked in many different ways or many different directions for God. I want to encourage you that if you seek God earnestly in a biblical way, you will find him. There's no may about it. And see, we often think of seekers as, as people that are just kind of going hither and yon and everywhere but the truth. Um, but we consider them seekers. But Jesus says, if you seek, you will find So that means that if our seeking is biblical, if our seeking is done the right way, then we will find and the door will be opened. So we just need to trust him to give us direction. All right. So our third thing about um, doors in the scripture and God as the Jesus as the door is it says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 16, 8, 9, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul is saying that he has to remain at Ephesus. Why? 
because a door of ministry is open to him. Apparently, um, some wanted him to uh, come away and do something else, but he knew that God had put the door in front of him to stay in Ephesus and to minister there. And I think it's interesting that he mentions an open door, but then he also mentions that it's not without trouble because he says there are many adversaries. So what is the significance of that to us? Sometimes we think, again, like we talked about before, we think that the right path will be a smooth path. And that is just not often the case. Sometimes the right path is actually jagged, it's actually shaky, it's actually rough, but God is with us through it all. God opened this door for Paul, and he, even though there were adversaries, he still was confident that this was something, that this was a door that God wanted him to go through. And we can be confident of that too. When God opens a door, he will provide for us to go through it. Uh, it's not always going to be pleasant. It's not always going to lead to the results that we want, but he will always be with us and help us. The next verse I want to bring up brings out the point, no man can close the doors God opens. And for this one, we go to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name. So in this passage, Jesus is talking to the church in Philadelphia, and he says, you have, you have a little strength, and you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name, and I am going to open doors that no man can shut. This is something that I have had to keep in mind with my ministry and other aspects of my life, that when God opens a door for ministry or for another aspect of my life, I can be confident that no one will shut it. No one will 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 get in the way of that happening because God's will is always performed. And I like to think of it this way too, like sometimes a door opens, and but you still have to go through some effort to go through it. Um, and and I and I I have said on on another occasion, well, at least one other occasion, that sometimes doors go ajar and I have to kick them open uh, because there are obstacles that would dissuade me. So part of this journey is discernment to know if it's man standing in the way or if it's God standing in the way and saying, uh, don't go through that door because the other aspect of this is if a door is shut, uh, if we're wringing our hands or, or trying to wrench the doorknob to get it to open, uh, if it's not intended to be open, we can cause ourselves a lot of heartache and grief. So if I can encourage you in those things, that would be amazing. And, uh, 
then finally he's waiting for you. I think perhaps this is the most important or one of the most important points of the whole topic of Jesus being the door is that Jesus wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. And he is waiting for us to allow that. He, he is a gentleman. He doesn't want to barge in. But he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome and am set down with my father in his throne. There's a couple things here that I want to bring out. First of all, he says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him. So if we are willing to have fellowship with him, he is willing to have fellowship with us. The other thing I want to mention is he's saying, if we overcome, we will be able to sit with him on his throne. Even as he overcame and sat at his father's throne. And the significance of this is there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about Jesus as our brothers and brother. And we sing a song, um, the family of God that talks about being joint heirs with Jesus as we traveled this sod. And I, I think it's, it's really good to be reminded that Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he has not already done. He overcame death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could overcome death, hell, and the grave. I mean, how, how amazing, how amazing is that, folks, that the God of the universe consented, first of all, to become human, second of all, to become a baby and go through every part of life that we went through, and third of all, to be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and then to rise again the third day. Um, Paul said, if he be not risen, our faith is in vain. But then he said, now is Christ risen. So our faith, in fact, is not in vain, but is very solid and built on the very evident, seen by 500 people, resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is why he is the door. Again, when we're talking about these names of Jesus, we're, we're not saying he's a door. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, that Jesus was a light of the world when we talked about that last week. We are talking about the, a definitive article, he is the door. So my biggest encouragement to you this week is that you would choose to go through the door that is Jesus Christ into life eternal. And he has said this, that him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that's really the answer for all of the racial unrest, all of the riots, all of the, the disagreements, all of the animosity that we feel in our country today is that if we would turn to Jesus Christ, we could see revival and see harmony 
in this country like never before. The Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will and will move my hand and I will heal their land. And I find it interesting that if you look at that passage, that that is actually being said by God during the dedication of the temple, during a very high point in the history of the uh, people of Israel. He's not saying this when they are in distress. He's saying this before they were in distress, that when you come under distress, when you come under punishment for being for, for sinning, for going against me, then remember whose you are, remember that you're mine, and commit, confess your sins to me, and I will restore you. I will heal your land. And I really believe that he can do that for the United States of America. I hope that this uh, episode has encouraged you. I hope that you will take some time out today and over this weekend to to think about 9-11 and the days that followed. Um, may, may God bring our hearts uh, back to 9-12 when we really cared about our fellow Americans and we sought to show them love at every opportunity. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend and as always, I hope that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 